Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Hey! Hello. K-Nun. You're very, you're very racist towards the K. <laughs> Everything you print for me, you swap sweet C's for K's. Well, I wouldn't call that racist. I'm just kind of leaning towards mm, the K. The Norwegians are a tad racist. If you say so. <laughs> I went to school with you guys. It was, it was, uh, we were in the toilet. We talked, we talked like uh, <laughs> yeah, cheap. Yeah. Your humor's in the toilet. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, that was, uh, I'm kidding about the Norwegians. <laughs> the six I know, definitely though, edgy. <laughs> Funky and edgy. Yep. So anyways, you, yeah, I noticed that uh, Manscaped you've got with a K in my copy today. Yeah, that's, you know, a, that's a Freudian slip. Por- the uh, portfolio companies are uh, firing off copy to me for ads. It's fun. As we enter week 72 of Panic with Friends. What is it, 2040? Is that what we're I in? I think it's so, like yeah. you, It feels like I haven't like showered it. in a week. <laughs> okay, we are back. It's March 25th. And today we're giving free 24th actually, 24th. but who's we're counting? giving free legal advice from one of my uh, favorite people in New York. He's become a legend within the securities industry, kind of inventing uh, this comeback of uh, broker dealers and uh, has helped great companies for like uh, Robinhood and including StockTwits, which securities work uh, and has become the fintech. Fintech guru. So uh, he should have some good insights, and he promises not to bill anyone, which means he's going to bill one of the deeper company pockets at the, at the firm. <laughs> There's no doubt. Like when they, let's like when someone says um, with uh, no dis, you know, I mean, you know, disrespect, but you know right away. Yeah, fucking yeah, exactly. It comes an insult. <laughs> All right, so we're going to uh, call Ethan Silver from Lowenstein Sandler in New York, but first, uh, pay it off. We've got a few. We're going to insert some ads into the show to trick people because we have so many companies that want to sponsor. Actually, remind me to ask Ethan to sponsor this podcast with real money. (laughs) All right, I'm going to call him. You're going to call Ethan, but we haven't done the ad. We'll read the ad halfway through. Get him on the phone. Hello? Ethan. Howard, how are you? That's right. Put your pencil down. No billing. No billing. Clock is off. That's the name of the show, No Billing. I just call lawyers and get free advice. <laughs> That'd be a good idea know, for a I show. Know, I know your distaste for lawyers. So I have I'm, a cousin. I'm to be on with <laughs> I have this cousin who has this problem. It's just a little yellowish, grayish mole. Uh, so what's to your lockdown with the family? This is probably the most fun you're going to have in a week. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I, I injured my, my leg and me skiing the beginning of February. So technically uh, I had knee surgery uh, out in Jackson hole. And so I've been way ahead of the curve working from home. So I'm fully acclimated now. So stuntmen, like celebrities have stuntmen. Do lawyers have someone who just bills for you? Like steps in and just bills people when they're injured? (laughs) (laughs) Here's Louie. He'll be billing you. Yeah. What's that? No, you just do I your own billing. I try to make myself redundant uh, with you know stunt, junior people. But. Stunt billing. 
So what were you doing? Were you on a green slope, God forbid, or were you on a real man? <laughs> were you on a black diamond? Yeah, I got I got too aggressive in my uh, old age. Well, how old are you? Are you 40 yet? Yeah. That's, we didn't know. That was a good answer. We don't know if that's older or younger. And you have kids, well, no? You have kids. I have, I have three children. Oh my goodness. Uh, 11, eight and three. So yeah, it's uh So are you going to hold them back a year or make them do online school? Yeah, no, they're they're online schooling. They enjoy it. Oh, they actually enjoy it? Yeah, I think so. Lawyers, kids. Yeah, my. (laughs) (laughs) You got them regimented. I mean, you are so organized. I mean, I don't know you that well, but you're organized. So uh, it's it's my wife. It's all due to my wife. Is she a lawyer too? She is, yeah. Oh, you know, my, my wife's a lawyer. Her twin sister's a lawyer. Her other sister's a lawyer and uh, all their husbands are lawyers. So I'm the only non-lawyer yet. I retain more lawyers than, uh, most countries. Right. I'm like thin Trump. The, um, <laughs> so tell you people, <laughs> tell people a little bit about Ethan Sil- Silver and, uh, Lowenstein. Cause it's really an amazing practice you've built. Uh, sure. So. Um, I guess I've been in the financial services world for about 16 years. Um, you know, I started on the, uh, regulatory enforcement side at the government and New York stock exchange, uh, really bringing cases during the mutual fund market timing, late trading era, Uh um, and once that dried was up, was that in the, like ninety six? When was that? No, no, two thousand four. So after the crash, seven. I'm trying to remember. That was yeah. a, a couple guys in Phoenix got taken down big time for market yeah. timing on. There on were the some hedge funds that yeah. were bribing the yeah the funds, um, the mutual funds. So uh, yeah, made those cases, and then that side of the the wall didn't seem as just as it once felt. Um, I wanted a new challenge. So uh, joined a, a more boutique financial services firm for a number of years. Uh, and then um, after, after... In New York? That, was this all in New York? Ethan? Yeah, it was in New York. Um, you know, pretty old, old school firm. Mm-hmm. Um and I started to around 2009 coming out of the crash. Um, I started to make some relationships with guys who were coming out of the technology space, looking to broaden into the financial world. Uh And also, you know, I was hitting the part of my career where I was like, all right, I have to start, you know, figuring out where I'm going to find clients. So, I so not just on the work, work side. I mean, lawyers, what, what, what you're, you're kind of a rainmaker. I don't think you're, I got to say, like, you don't strike me as a rainmaker yet. The more I spend time with you, I'm like secret rainmaker just because the quality of work. I mean, there's two sides of being a lawyer, right? You got to bring in business. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that, and that, you know, was the part that I was most focused on um, after figuring out how to actually do the work. Right. And I think, you know, that, that is the part that they don't teach you in law school and, you know, obviously keeps the lights on. So to me, you know, it's, it's ultimately the most important part and I enjoy connecting with people, you know, building trust, um, and then growing relationships. 
And so I was looking around and seeing, you know, my, my colleagues were a little older than me in the, in the broker dealer financial services space. Um, they were more focused on the big banks. Um, and I was looking to connect with people like those who were now contacting me in the tech space that were looking to think about, you know, how do I start a financial services company? What's in, what's involved? Um, your timing was impeccable. Yeah, it really, timing's everything. Right. Um, Mm. and so, um, started working with a couple of, you know, early online brokerages, meeting investors in that space. You know, there was a good group of executives who left E-Trade after it had um, some troubles out of the crash and, you know, started investing in a number of fintech startups at that time. And I set up a couple broker dealers along the line. Um, do you remember the first one? It wasn't Robinhood. So what was the first one? Were you online broker dealers or, or, or just broker dealers? The first dealers? one out of that time period was probably called Capital. Oh, I remember Capital. They, they were yeah. around for a while with a yeah. K. With a K. Right, exactly. And like so Canute. Exactly. That's how you, if like I would Canute. say, Canute, start a firm, you would say, let's call it uh, Capital with a K. I'm going to someone beat you to it. Everything, Canute's been writing K's and everything because his name's Canute. So everything he writes. Like a sea racist. It's just uh, <laughs> goes for the territory. By the way, his crack research, I was going to say, like, it's, he has here, I asked him to do some research on Ethan. He goes, uh, he says he's got you down for uh, law school in Tijuana. That can't be right. Yeah. That's oh, right. good work, Canute. <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, so you do, you do capital, which didn't go anywhere, but they worked hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, I met, you know, a number of interesting fintech investors, um, who were great referral sources to a number of other companies coming up then. Yeah. The timing really was good because you're right. The VCs are great. Like I'm a good referral source. You show me stuff, but I'm a good referral source. Referral source. You're right. With respect yeah. to fintech, so who like Ribbit, and uh, have you done work with Ribbit, or who who on the fintech side? Index. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, yeah, um, I mean, we, you know, at Lowenstein, we we represent a lot of a lot of the VCs as well. Now, is it true um, when a fund crosses a hundred million, you raise your rates? Absolutely not. Okay, so can it can you do a little bit better research? <laughs> Any question I ask and insults you, I blame on Canute. The uh, I I'm mean, nice Ethan, Ethan didn't know he had to be prepared for trick questions here. So <laughs> got him on his toes. Um, yeah. So um, so there's you know, no breaks point. if you cross a certain amount of assets. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay. And uh, what was the first? Did you when you met the Robinhood guys, because we can't talk about like really the company and stuff. Did you have any idea? Do you care if the company's going to make it or not? Obviously you care, but like, do you ever have an instinct like, Oh, this is interesting. I do. I really do. And I, I feel like it, be, the job becomes a little more venture capitalist like yes. in that sense, because it's important to me to have a successful client. So, you know, not only can they give me work, but they can pay me to do the work, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so, yeah, I think it's something I think about all the time when, and I meet, you know, tons of people starting businesses, you know, do numerous calls for 
for free and meetings. You yes, know, you, do 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 meetings you do do that. You do do for free. Yeah. yeah. Um, to hear people's ideas and flush them out and get a sense of, you know, what they've done before, what they're building. Um, so yeah, it's it's to your question. It's it's incredibly important to me because I know some of these companies are not going to be around, and I've I've been pretty successful in uh, having very few clients that have gone out of business uh, and or not paid me. And do you do crypto or no? Was that part of your practice? Yeah, yeah. So that's, you do do crypto. That's become a. a I mean, it was a, Crypto a with huge a K, part too. of the practice in, <laughs> you know, 2015, 16, 17. It's so still, you, you definitely didn't get paid a lot. No, I think we, we absolutely haven't had any issues there. Oh, great. Um, you know, we were, I think we were on the right side of that uh, ICO craze. Did you do um, ICOs? I mean, I mean, I've never seen anything that seemed to make less it to me it always reminded me of the bulletin board we're going to get endless supply and screwed up uh, digital cap tables and no business model that happened really like i mean it was amazing how fast it just went up it flamed yeah. out it was pretty fast yeah no i um i did not i did not do any of that largely because the firm didn't you know there were securities yeah. and people didn't want to hear that that was a, required a securities offering um, I, our focus has been much more on the regulatory side with, you know, anti-money laundering, money transmitters, money services business, the stuff that the states and, you know, uh, FinCEN or the, under the Bank Secrecy Act is being regulated. And one of the big things now that I've noticed, because we share deal flow sometimes, is the interna- internationalization of uh, brokerage, meaning the Robin Hoods of this and that country, meaning neobanks, yeah. neobanks kind of started in Europe mm-hmm. and are coming here and robos and moved to Europe. And now what's interesting is I, I see all these Robin Hoods of this and that yep. of like yep. of different countries. So are you seeing that as well? Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, that was certainly picking up, I want to say uh, maybe two, two and a half years ago. Yes. Right. When, when Robin hood really hit its stride, um, people were, were popping up in a number of places, either, either internationally or even in the U S right. To, to bring in only international clients. So we had set up firms in, you know, that are in, in focused on in the U S focused on China. Mm-hmm. Or focused on Brazil, mm-hmm. right? Or focused on India, mm-hmm. right? So the the, comp, the the investors that I guess you wouldn't get on Robinhood, correct? And why is like when the crypto thing was happening? I mean, I think I like I've always respected the SEC and FINRA. I'm a little bit scared of them. I understand if you're super super wealthy how much misery they can bring in your life, or if you do something obviously guilty. But like I always was, you know go small because it's like all this stuff they look at. Is there, um, is that the advantage? Like, I mean, I think what people didn't understand about this and going around the SEC and FINRA is like, I always felt the SEC and FINRA were a good thing for like, you know, like gray means slow down and in China mean gray means go. So is that, is that something that you have to explain to a lot of entrepreneurs? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think especially the ones who have more technology backgrounds, right. And don't want to be bothered. They've never had to worry about regulation. Right. Like the Ubers of the world. You right. can't do Uber in a finance. Like Robinhood couldn't have done what they'd done unless they'd gone slow for 12 or 18 months. Correct. Sure. Sure. And how do you know uh, when, what was the difference? Do you think financial background helps more in doing like this, this digital world of finance? Or do you think technology people, have you seen kind of the background that you think is, is more prone to be the right time, the right type of, of, of background to be a fintech entrepreneur in 2020? Uh, you know, on balance, it's probably more on the technology side. It ultimately, you know, those people who are who are smart and really can execute, um, it's you know, it's it's a you know it when you see it, but um, it's it's hard to necessarily distinguish until it becomes very clear, and then and then it's and then it's okay. That makes sense why they were able to scale this business so quickly. And why right? did it? Yeah, why did it take so long for like a Robinhood to come up, do you think? Versus, you know, crypto was ahead of Robinhood, you know, Bitcoin started and then Robinhood was like 2013, 2014. Why did it take so long for there to be another attempted e-trade? You know, because well, eToro right. was around in 2009, which was kind of like a combo right, of... Right, but not in the U.S. Right. I think, you know, that that group of in-between online brokers like... Zecco, Trade oh, Zeko. King, yeah, 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 Trade King. Right, they tried to do the zero commission, but it was desktop. Um, yeah, it was desktop, and you know, it, it wasn't speaking to a specific generation. I think, like, you know, Robinhood's focus initially was, and so that was just um, a timing thing. You think? I think timing was was a lot to do with it, but you know, obviously, I think. Vlad and Beju and Nate were able to really build something, motivate a, a group of people to get very good uh, employees around them and, and, you know, scale something amazingly fast. Now, were you there before the pivot, like helping them or, or after? You met them after they had like kind of pivoted into being Robin Hood or before? I met them um, like around the same time, so around the, same the time as me. kind of yeah. the, the game. Um, yeah. They were doing more uh, socials before they were right. doing trading. And, and what's the hot thing now? What are you seeing like from a trend? What's, you know, cause it doesn't seem like Robo, Robo is just a feature. So what's like, yeah, Robo is incredibly hard. I think yeah. to build a business now, um, Right, the acquisition costs are high. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of the broker dealers, obviously, you know, no one can charge commissions anymore. So, uh, the move has been a lot of cash management, right, yes. as an offering. Yes, to to make yourself uh, almost neo bankish um, without having to go through the brain damage of of building an actual bank. Um, and to find some yield for uh, where you can't where you can't be charging, you know, a couple of years ago, right, nine ninety nine a, a trade. Um, so that that has definitely been a trend. Um, you know, obviously the neo bank side 
separate from that, you know, in the unregulated sense where you're relying on, you're re- relying on a bank as the, you know, back office for yourselves. Right. You know, that's, that's been interesting because those companies seem to somewhat hold themselves out as banks. Do you, um, are you doing work for Chime or Current? I know th- those guys, do you, do you do work for any of those? Uh, I do do work, not them specifically, but Got it. in um, the space. In the space, yeah. And how many people are on the practice at Lowenstein? Um, we're about two partners, um, senior associate, and then uh, three more associates. And then what? So built a pretty, it's pretty, a pretty good practice group. And what's the time frame to do a securities license? I mean, I know this, but for the audience. Like if, a, if an entrepreneur is listening and is really serious about it, they have a great angle of attack on this. What 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 do they have to give themselves? Yeah, I think if you want to create a broker dealer, you know, you probably want to give yourself nine months. And right? for and for the robo, it's just Finra, right? So they can get it much quicker. No, uh, that's the broker dealers Finra. Oh, the, sorry. Yeah. The robo side, which is why so many of them have popped up, right? Is the the regulatory friction is much less because it's, you know, if a robo you you get to avail yourself of an exemption to be SEC registered, and you just file the form ADV with the SEC, and they grant you effectiveness within forty five days. Typically, it's you know three to four weeks. So they do their substantive review through examination, you know, later on. And um, that's what's made a lot of people say, you know, I don't care if there may be a moat to, to being a broker dealer, I want to be in business now. And they go the, the robo route, but obviously you have less of an ability to earn fees um, the same way you could through a broker. Yeah, there's a trade-off, right? There's that nine months yeah. and the expense and then the compliance and the ongoing versus I need to be in business today. I, I I really caution entrepreneurs, right? I don't think they really understand. Nine months is real time in the era of the cloud and the era of you know uh, fast fail and product market fit. So yeah. I think you have to be really you – know, I'm sure you manage talking a lot of people out of it. You have me a few times out of different things, but – uh, I think part of your job is really having to explain to people. Yeah. Yeah. I think, right. You know, in the stock twits world, right. It seemed like a, a natural extension from all of your, you know, captive users when we met, uh, what was it? Five or six years ago. But um, I think, you know, depending on how you're going to build this business. Yeah. I, I oftentimes caution people about exactly that. Are you ready for the regulated life? Yeah, it's a lot different little twist on things, which I give. You and know. that's, yeah. And that's where I think if you have that financial services background, that can be a great advantage, right? As long as, you know, you're able to to execute as well. Yeah, Nate, who's now a, a venture capitalist pretty much full-time and just left Robinhood last year. I mean, he was probably that guy that just dotted the I's and crossed the T's, I think, for the Robin Hood guys. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And then on on your side, the with the with the virus in New York being shut down, how's the how's the law firm work while this is going yeah, on? Yeah, it's 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 been very interesting. Um, 
you know, uh, I think, you know, our, our managing partner and, and board did a pretty amazing job in getting 350 lawyers, 350 um, working you know, from home. dispersed to their working from their home pretty seamlessly. Um, you know, our, we've, we've had partner calls regularly to check in and make sure technology is working and people had delivery of, you know, phones from their office or printers or computers. Um, you know, the, the executive assistant staff have been able to answer phones remotely for people and technology has been incredibly helpful in that way. Um, and it's, it's interesting to observe kind of before this, uh, whole panic, uh, when I was forced to work from home, you know, I was always, I was never a big proponent of working from home. I, I didn't like it. And I always feared, you know, my, my two-year-old son walking into my office or something and disturbing me or, or making it difficult, but it, it's actually, it's, I, I feel like I haven't been less effective in any way. Um, and I think the firm has been, you know, operating somewhat seamlessly, all things considered. So, you know, I think it's, it's not, not been terrible. I'm surprised. I'm surprised how well we've been able to adapt. And is email your killer weapon or, or uh, with clients or is there Slack channels that you're allowed to use or how do you communicate with customers in, in 2020? And clients. Yeah, lawyer, lawyers, it's really email. Um, and I, Slack wouldn't be terrible, right? But, um, you know, email is is king. Um, and same I at the probably, law firm, Slack, lawyers don't that? really collaborate. So in, inside the firm, it's email as well? Yeah, there's there's some instant messaging, but yeah, it's largely, largely email or, um, you know, I text with colleagues, but... Um, there's no, there's no real slack internally. And then what about pace today? Like, so everybody's got to take a deep breath, FinTech included. Have you noticed any kind of, what, what kind of panic are you sensing? I think the earlier companies are, are very concerned about, you know, whether they're going to be able to close investors. Yep. Um, you know, I'd be interested to when I'm done hear from hear from you about how you're thinking about about investing. But I think that's that's largely what I've heard from the earlier companies, right? Is thinking about employee layoffs already. Um, you know, whether they can support uh, what's going on in the market or the or the uncertainty, um, and maybe going to engineering offshore uh or That's thinking happening. about what what alternatives you know they have to operate their business and then how they can actually scale it in that way so when we come out of this and maybe a year 18 months they're in a position to to raise a, a financing without without going out of business but you think it's a year to 18 months. So that's interesting. Well, that you I, drop, I, yeah. I, but you said it. I'm not saying you think, but that kind of was at the top of your head. Like you're, 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 you're letting your fintech clients know, which always takes long. You got to raise more money if you're going into fintech because you got to tack five years on to building a brand, which is number one advice I tell 
fintech founders when they call I'm probably thinking I'm, I'm probably thinking of a specific company when I said that because Got it. Okay. you know yeah. uh, about you know when they were thinking of raising another round but it wouldn't surprise me quite frankly if if it took a year for things to to pick up again certainly I yeah mean, with, who, you know who knows when this is going to end yeah with a lot of broker dealers you know i think robin has like we stock twitches in different city a lot of the broker dealers have their their brokerage arms in the different city in different cities in their headquarters just for costs and whatever for whatever reason i can't remember because i'm not operationally involved but i've you know what i've seen just since you asked is you know with coifin they've they always used uh, kiev and ukraine in ukraine for and I've noticed a few companies are already cutting and going to Portugal or going to Budapest. Um, do you do work for Alpaca, which is in our portfolio with Yoshi? I do, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, so I've seen with them, uh, they've thought about spinning up uh, groups in Budapest and Portugal. And I'm hearing from a lot of uh, other of our fintech companies that Europe is, because uh, first of all, the Europeans trade. They know Forex. They know leverage. They love trading and it's different hours and the European markets as well. So I think for fintech, I think we were on, we were in some kind of really liquidity bubble where, you know, the, the exits were crazy for about two months. You know, TD, um, you had E-Trade, you had uh, Honey, Plaid, honey, plaid uh, Credit Karma. So that's a lot of money that's going right. to come back into fintech with all this experience. Um, so I was worried about that. I was like, oh, it's going to lead to sloppy valuations and yada, yada, yada. And 30 days later, well, here we are. And finally, pricing power is back a little moving towards the venture capitalist. So I see that happening. The second thing I see happening is, you know, I hate picking on robos, but I just never understood that business. And I'm sure you represent a few, but so I've always been kind of bearish on, you know, competing against fidelity and Blackstone coming out of the chute. Uh, so I just avoided that. I didn't mind competing against E-Trade or Schwab because they were always in the asset asset game and their technology and lack of, you know, being able to attract millennials was something that attracted me to Robinhood. I think in the future, I'm excited about like Rally Road, like weird angles of attack on being a broker dealer. Because I think it's about building trust. Just like as a lawyer, you got to build trust with your clients. I think these fintech companies, it takes five years extra to build trust with clients. Like it wasn't like, yeah, a, yeah. like I don't know how Robin, like Robin Hood is a miracle. Like, I mean, forgetting the, the legal work that they did and their understanding of, 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 of brokerage and trading, just getting people to move money to a new broker is Herculean. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And, uh, I think the, well, the, one of the biggest was, you know, speaking to a generation who was just not even opening those accounts. Right. Like literally like there wasn't there like 2013, it was like, you had to go to Schwab or E-Trade. That just seems like ridiculous. Not that right. like if you have, if you're very wealthy, that Schwab and E-Trade are dumb, but just the onboarding, just as well, we take it for granted. In, retro, in retrospect, yeah. they're wishing they just went right to zero, I suppose. Who? <laughs> Schwab and E-Trade. Yeah, I mean, I guess there must have been so many conversations within Robin Hood over the years of like, when is someone going to lay the hammer down and go to zero? I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in those meetings because as, an, as a nervous person, I was like, why hasn't Schwab done this? 
Like, what, like for the amount of revenue they're making off this. But I think what happened, and maybe you can give some insight. My inside baseball view was always like, if I'm Schwab and Ichai, and this is why I was always so bullish on, on, on do-it-yourself and Robinhood at the time, was you're going to look at Robinhood and go toy. You know, if you're, if you're a product person at E-Trade or Schwab, you're looking at Robinhood and you're telling your boss, ah, it's all $2 accounts. And so I think that's what happened within those companies. All these product teams and, and marketing teams who were protecting their own jobs were reporting up the flagpole that a Robinhood's not a competitor. That's right. No, that's, I think there's real evidence of that. And I think there's, you know, the ego got in the way and they didn't want to take it seriously. Yeah. But I think if, and if you're a product person and you run up to Chuck Schwab and you go, Chucky, listen, I make 140 a year, but like at the risk of putting me out of a job, you better drop commissions to zero. I think Chuck would have thrown you out. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, he would have and taken his golf US. club and just swapped hired it at you. Psychiatrist. <laughs> right. So it was kind of like one of those perfect storms. So I think next up is is international. Obviously, you're probably going to be doing work for neobanks, et cetera, coming here. Is that happening already? Yeah, yeah. Not just even neobanks, but brokerage, right? Um, you know, we, we've set up one in, in Florida for a really – uh, smart guy out of Brazil. Interesting. And, you know, he, he set up an online shop in, in Brazil that sold to, uh, I think, the largest bank or brokerage in Brazil. And then he came to the U.S. and said, you know, Brazilians are not getting access to the U.S. markets. Thanks for showing you me know, that deal. What's the name a, of that company? It's called Avenue. They're Avenue. based in Miami. Thanks for that lead. <laughs> what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> sidebar. K-Nut. He sidebar. came with money. <laughs> he came with money, but you're supposed to say, how are, you're supposed to call my red phone and go, how are we got a live one from Brazil? <laughs> I guess I'm not on the list, Knut. He sneaked up on all of them. Didn't have a K the, in the word. And so had they raised money already, or is he self-funded? Or So he came, that's a good, I mean, that's what's happening all over the world. We just, you know, we did one out of uh, Jakarta. but Right. Uh, so, so Lowenstein has a name, you know, obviously you, you're not looking for these, you're just getting referred in from other, uh, venture capitalists and, and no, I'm, I'm actually on, I'm out there looking all over the place, Got and, it. you know, but you're not traveling why, internationally. You know, Were you in Brazil? Uh, no. Um, but I was, you know, I'm in Miami, I'm in Got it. LA, I'm in San Francisco, probably a, a week, a month until obviously, you know, recently, um, you know, so I'm, I'm all over the U S you know, I was in, in Israel last year. Are you, Cause uh, you're doing work for eToro as well. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking for these deals, but I'm also, I, you know, there's, I don't think there's other lawyers, um, you know, and if any lawyers are listening, you should plug your ears. Um, there's, I don't think there's other lawyers. There's no lawyers listening. The way I treated this industry. Focusing (laughs) on, on this space. Right. And that's like 99% of my clients, um, are in the early stage through growth round. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, whether that's on the broker dealer side, which is probably the primary area, but also we have a good amount of 
crypto clients and a good amount of robo advisors that we've we've built and represent and then help them build broker dealers on when they have scalability so that they can recognize other uh, areas to get revenue. So, um, you know, that's, that's been the, the focus of, of the practice and, you know, trying to corner the market there uh, with the VCs, you know, the accelerators um, and, you know, the, the ecosystems in, you know, various cities around the country. So um, has there been a moment when you've ever panicked? I mean, obviously, as a lawyer, we'll end it up here. Has there been a moment when you've panicked? Was this? In my life? Nah, like where you worried for your client, like where you see something coming, like, oh, wait, uh, you were on the other side of the table, maybe, so you didn't care. But has there been a moment where you've just like, oh, there is a tsunami coming? Like, I don't think anybody first, obviously, I was talking to a trader who was, you know, black, the, the, we were due for a pandemic. You know, it's like an earthquake. It, it was just inevitable with the globalization that there'd be a pandemic. But like, how, um, like, have you been at a point in your career where you were just panicked about the markets or panicked about uh, clients and, and et cetera? I think, well, you know, before I was a lawyer, 9-11, I think I was a little, I mean, I invested on my own, not, not crazily, but that's how I was interested in the market. So invested a little and, um, you know, saw the markets and they, uh, around nine 11, they, they rebounded somewhat quickly in 2008. Um, I was still more of a, a bit of a, of a younger lawyer. So I, I wasn't as deep, uh, in recognizing some of the, the clients issues around the, uh, around the markets. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, in the last three weeks, certainly, um, when you, you know, things like, all right, the NBA season is going to be postponed or suspended. Right. And then March madness is, is off. Right. And it's like, Oh boy. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the markets are at the same time dropping, you know, 2000 points a day. You're yeah. like, wow, how is, how are we going to sustain this continuous drop? Yeah. And then any, t- and now anytime I turn on CNN, right. And like, you see a, a death tabulator on oh the God, right they have side a death tabulator? Yeah. or like, or if there's some news conference and, and Fauci isn't up there, I get, I get panicked. <laughs> what is the, um, I had a really good question here. What is the, the other, at what stage do they need in-house? Do people need in-house if they're doing fintech, or do you outsource it as long as you can? I, I think that's a a bit of a personal preference. Uh-huh. You know, there's some companies that try to follow their venture capitalists or board members. You know, this is the roadmap. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some companies like. Uh, like Brex, uh-huh. I think they had a GC pretty early. Yeah, but they have so uh, much money think, and they're just spared no No, expense. but I think there's value. To, I think there's good value to that. Uh, uh-huh. And I'll tell you why. I mean, I think, you know, getting, if you can find a, a general counsel who also has some business sense um, 
and can also be like a good advisor rather than, you know, just I'm just going to sit here and review the contracts or the documents, right, but can actually contribute. And it's it's not I, I don't know that it's easy to find or you're going to find it uh, in all cases. But if you can find such a person, I think there is value for pulling that trigger early on, maybe earlier than, you know, what the what the Silicon Valley roadmap may be. Yeah, very interesting. And then what is um, the easiest way to reach you? The easiest way to reach me? Yeah, just email. Just bug me and I'll, and I'll forward it to you. Email, you can call my cell phone. It's I mean, you're pretty cool. You answer your phone. When did that become a thing? When did you get off your BlackBerry? About a year ago? <laughs> <laughs> and lawyers were the last people to switch. <laughs> Um, I had, I had like a a very early iPhone. You had a very early iPhone? I was never a big fan of a, of a black. The lawyers were the last bastion. I just Uh, remember so many lawyers still just love Maybe the larger, the larger firms because they, they mandated everyone use that one device. And then Bitcoin thoughts. Yeah. Excited, not excited, could care less. Do you see any yeah, trends no, I, there? Do you see, I mean, I know it's hard for America, but like, are you seeing anything that's interesting, like trend wise or interest wise, or is it dead? No, I think, I think it's, you know, there's had some life in the last few weeks, um, fluctuations. Certainly if the, you know, they turn off the market, that's, that's going to continue to trade. Oh, good point. Um, Cause I was going to ask about, have you worried, have you seen clients worry about we've had this discussion on stock twits all day and there was a point last week where, you know, I almost didn't care because I'm not that dependent on the stock. My companies are. So I was worried about, you know, the markets being shut down for stock twits traffic or quite, you know, or Robin hood. But as an investor myself, I was like, fuck, at some point they're just going to shut this down for a while. Did that? Yeah. Are you, are you, were you pro are that idea or against that, that idea? As a lawyer, were you, are you like anti that idea or pro the idea? Uh, I, I'm not you didn't sure think I have about a pos- it. I, I don't, I didn't necessarily have a position pro or anti, right? It, um, I guess I'm putting my faith in the decision makers. Got it. Maybe okay. more than I, sh- so maybe more than I should. There was no stress. But- you weren't thinking about that for your companies last week or, or a couple of weeks ago. What are they going to do? No. There was no plan. No, no. Okay. That's no, interesting. No, I which means it's a good sign. I mean, I think I think they made the right decision so far in keeping the markets open. Um, yeah, I mean, I I lean more towards that. Um, you know, the alternative seems more scary. Yes. So um, interesting. And then on Bitcoin, you you still uh, you yeah. S- no, you I s- invested. You know, the end of twenty thirteen, early twenty fourteen. You know, not when it was uh, not yoni early, but. Um, you know, I, I believe in, right, cryptocurrency as this uh, alternative means to transmitting money, yeah, paying for things, right? Um, uh, you know, it would be great if, you know, the SEC and other regulators could, could make it a little easier for these companies to uh, to build and you know get their programs out there for for use uh-huh. um i think eventually it's gonna happen 
So you think it, you're, right. you're an eventualist? This just is a tidal wave that's slowly coming. Yeah, I I think it's still a few years away, but I think right the technology is is there. Um, the ease of use, you know, the ability to to put money in somebody's hands immediately uh, would be, I think, would be valued. Uh, in every other industry, I think it's just this has some history and and fraud and bad actors around it that has somewhat colored right people's views. Yeah, I think you just gotta you gotta have real patience in the United States to play this game. It's a real long game. It's not uh, information. We're talking about money. All right, you're the man. Thanks for doing this. I know you got. Uh, a busy schedule that cost you about six hundred dollars. This podcast, the uh, way more. Do you do you send this to your biggest customer? Like, who do you bill for this, it, <laughs> or do you split it pro rata against all your clients? Um, I think I put it on your your bill when I come to your stock twits of this. <laughs> That's fine. Have you the? Uh, well, I appreciate it. I mean, hopefully, some fintech people, well, it's all fintech people. So hopefully I asked the right questions, but obviously this is more because I appreciate uh, deal flow and sharing ideas with uh, Ethan. So if you're a fintech founder out there, hit me up. Ethan is great about returning calls. And um, I think the wealth of knowledge that he's sharing, I mean, we're right there. You're right there at ground, you know, inning one of this explosion around Plaid and, and Robinhood and the robo space. So uh, congratulations on your good timing and being a good guy. And thanks for coming on Panic with Friends. Yeah, thanks for having me, Howard. All right, buddy. Talk Take to care, you. Take care, Knut. Take care. Bye. You can tell it was a lawyer. Think about how fast Ryan talks versus how fast Ethan talks. You can tell he's billing some, but that took twice the time that it takes to do a regular podcast. But in those breaks between every word, he bill double. Well, because he was writing stuff down. 30 seconds, Bill Robin Hood. <laughs> the, uh, oh, he has a good sense of humor. <laughs> no, I do that to every lawyer, and it's so obvious. Every client must do that to him. Except I think some clients just scream at their lawyers, and I just talk to them and then beat them up after. Because <laughs> I say, listen, I'm the guy that you're, you know. But it's so hard dealing with lawyers in business. So when you find a few that you can actually just be friends with, it's like the urologist that'll text you. The lawyer that'll just pick up the phone and be thoughtful is really important. So for fintech founders, I you know, I got no skin in the game here. I always argue that maybe he has too many conflicts in the space. He doesn't. You know, you gotta trust a lawyer at some point because he knows every founder in the space. But I think you're crazy if you don't pick the brain of Ethan and a uh, very focused uh, attorney in the security space. All right, we'll be back. we got a big day of like, f- a bunch of fun at uh, Panic with Friends. So uh, thanks, K-Nut. Thank you, Howard.